This summer, David Azulai, an ultra-Orthodox member of the Israeli Knesset and the Minister of Religious Services, called Reform Judaism a disaster for the state of Israel. David Azulai must be unaware that in 1917, it was a Reform rabbi, Stephen S. Wise, who helped persuade President Woodrow Wilson to support the Balfour Declaration which confirmed Britain's approval of the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people. David Azulai apparently never learned that in 1922, it was a reform rabbi and scholar, Judah Magnus, who helped found the Hebrew University and serves as its first chancellor and president. I guess no one ever told David Azulai that in 1947, it was yet another reform rabbi Abba Hillel Silver, who addressed the United Nations to make the case for Jewish statehood at the General Assembly's historic vote for Israel. Reformed Jews in Israel created countless kibbutzim and communities, fought in and continue to serve in the Israeli army, patented scientific inventions, built synagogues and schools, and here in America, millions of Reformed Jews, like you, have supported Israel over the decades from afar, fundraising through myriad organizations and serving on boards of Israel's museums and hospitals and universities and advocating for Israel's safety and protection. So I'd respectfully suggest to Minister Azulai that he had it completely backwards Reform Jews haven't been a disaster for the state of Israel. Reform Jews have been essential to the state of Israel. But Azulai's indictment went even further. He stated that he could not and would never consider Reform Jews to be Jewish. He referred to Reform Jews as people who, and I quote, try to fake and do not carry out religious law properly and give it other interpretations. He went on to say, the moment a reformed Jew stops following the law of Israel, there's a problem. I cannot allow myself to call such a person a Jew. Ouch. For many reformed Jews, this comment, aside from being insulting, hits an undeniably vulnerable spot. Many of us feeling an, a nagging insecurity about the authenticity of our brand of Judaism. Some wonder if we are, to use Azalai's words, faking it because we don't keep kosher or a strict Shabbat, we don't daven three times a day or wear fringes or wigs. We Reformed Jews are often looking over our shoulder, worrying that we're not quite as Jewish as those other folks who live in a completely holy Jewish world. Some of us instinctively assume that they are the true guardians of our religion while we have taken the path of least observance. How many of you who were raised conservative or orthodox did at times feel just a little bit superior to those Reformed Jews. You can admit it. Just ask for forgiveness next week. <laughs> In fact, I would guess 
that a majority of us here did not grow up as Reformed Jews. Central Synagogue has drawn from all denominations, and we've been blessed to have many non-Jews join our ranks as well. Let's see if I'm right. This is the interactive portion of my sermon. If you don't mind my asking, raise your hand if you were raised or grew up as a conservative Jew. Wow, that's a lot of you. Now keep your hand up and raise your hand if you were raised an Orthodox Jew. Wow, quite a bit more. And raise your hand if you were, grew up, keep it up, and Sephardi? Um, secular, socialist, just Jewish? Okay. Um, and if you're comfortable sharing, raise your hand if you were raised in another tradition altogether or no religion at all. So if you look around, <laughs> who was actually born a Reformed Jew? There aren't that many of you. Okay, we, oh good. There you're there, you're out there. But it's clear that we have every flavor of Jewish here and other religions as well. We were certainly not all born Reformed Jews. And when I ask people how they ended up here at Central, I often hear some version of the following. My grandparents were Orthodox. They kept strictly everything. My mom, she grew up conservative, so she had a kosher kitchen, but she snuck bacon out. But when we became Reformed Jews, and we served crab cakes at my bar mitzvah, or I grew up really, really reform. We barely observed anything. Or my favorite, we were reformed. <laughs> Which sounded like they'd been sent to some penal institution for wayward Jews. But reform Judaism is not a less than option. In many ways, it's harder to be a good Reformed Jew than one who adopts a belief wholesale within an insular community. Early Reformed Jews sought to live within the modern world, to take the best from its science and its scholarship and to contribute to it fully, while remaining proudly Jewish. Reform is not just a denomination or a movement. It's an approach to innovation and to change. To reform is an active verb. But we often think of reform as a 19th century response to modernity. But reforming Judaism is consistent with the original Judaism of our ancestors. It is what Jews have always done. You look skeptical. Let me introduce you to one of my favorite Reformed Jews of history, Ezra the scribe. To find him, we have to travel back 2,500 years to the 5th century BCE. He lived among the exiled Jews in Babylon, where they had been banished after the destruction of the first temple. In 539, the Persian king Cyrus allowed the Jews to return to Israel and to rebuild a second temple. But surprisingly, very few of them returned. In fact, only about 10%, mostly the poor and the disenfranchised, returned back to Israel. They rebuilt 
a modest second temple and tried to establish a temple-based faith once more. Ezra the scribe was dispatched to Jerusalem to be the leader of this sad lot. He knew the Israelites would need something transformative to feel like a nation, dispersed as they were now in Israel and mostly in Babylon. He knew that they would need a shared script, one master narrative embodied in a new technology which could be mass-produced and much more portable than stone tablets. Ezra wrote the first Torah scroll. This itself was a major reform. But Ezra didn't stop with the first Torah. He also created a new reform ritual, the first public Torah reading. It was on Rosh Hashanah. And great crowds gathered, men and women, near the water gate in the town center. It's like the Lincoln Center of our day, <laughs> of its day. Now Ezra stood on a wooden dais and he chanted the Torah's Hebrew words for the first time in public. But hardly anyone understood him because only a small scholarly group knew Hebrew. The mainstream language was Aramaic. So Ezra employed a kind of closed captioning. First, the Torah was chanted from the Torah scroll in Hebrew and then a scholar offered a targum, a translation in Aramaic. But this translation exercise went beyond the literal decoding of the language. Ezra wanted to offer an interpretation of the text. It was a practice of drashing, very much like the one you're familiar with today when our clergy or even our B'nai Mitzvah step up and offer an interpretation of the Torah reading for the day. Ezra moved us away from a law that was literally set in stone to a living, breathing scripture that could be interpreted and reinterpreted for our people in every generation. And we Jews needed that interpretation in Ezra's time just as we do today because the Torah is hard to understand and there are layers upon layers of meaning and sometimes discrepancies and portions that were never meant to be taken literally. There had never been a group of Jews, neither in ancient days nor in the deepest part of Hasidic Brooklyn today, that follows every law as it was written in the Torah. We do not stone Jews who curse God. Thank God. We don't stone someone who breaks the Sabbath. We don't stone a rebellious son. If we Jews followed all these laws literally, we would have a lot of stoned Jews. <laughs> I'd even have a few in my own house, I'm afraid. The Talmud, which is our second most sacred reform, text was also a reform for its time. As Jewish life changed, the rabbis interpreted the law for relevancy. By the second century, many Jews had moved away from the farms to urban centers, 
refraining from work on the Sabbath no longer was about sowing seeds or plowing your fields. So the rabbis came up with new interpretations of work relating to handling money and travel. Further interpretation paved the way to today's Shabbos elevator. <laughs> Later on, as the rabbis of the Talmudic period grew sensitized to the social and economic vulnerability of married women, they amended the Torah's laws regarding dowry by codifying the use of a ketubah, a marriage contract that provided unprecedented financial and legal protection for women in marriage and divorce. Today's traditional ketubah was yesteryear's reform document. The Talmud doesn't contain single immutable truths. The Talmud rabbis present their evolving arguments as ongoing revelation, calling the Talmud the oral Torah on par with the written Torah. In a famous Talmudic story, Moses sees God writing a Torah scroll and adding decorative crowns to some of the letters. Moses asks God, what are those? And God responds that the crowns represent interpretations of Torah that don't yet exist. When Moses doesn't understand, as perhaps many of us don't in this room, God sends Moses on a trip to the future. Moses travels hundreds of years ahead to the second century CE, finding himself in a Beit Midrash, a Jewish school run by the head sage, Rabbi Akiva. Moses quietly slips into the back of the classroom, but he cannot follow Rabbi Akiva's teachings. He is completely lost. Akiva is talking about texts and rabbis. Moses practiced a Judaism of sacrifices and priests. Judaism had evolved beyond Moses' recognition. But then Moses hears Rabbi Akiva say, and we learned this teaching from Moshe Rabbeinu, from Moses our teacher. And he realizes it's still his Judaism. It's just in a different form. It's been reformed. This process of interpretation has continued throughout Jewish history. The laws of the Talmud were interpreted in codes. The laws of the codes were reinterpreted in the Shulchan Aruch. And legal interpretation continues to this day. Some reforms gave rise to significant Jewish movements. In the ninth century, a group of Jews called the Karaites abandoned the oral Torah of the Talmud and tried to go back to living a life only by the laws of Torah. Perhaps it's not a surprise they really don't exist anymore. And you've all heard of Hasidism, which emerged in the 18th century, and it emphasized mysticism and spiritual experience as a way of drawing closer to God. Hasidism influences Jewish life to this day. Fast forward now to the Enlightenment, when the values of human autonomy, 
scientific and intellectual inquiry, and universal justice were elevated as the highest of human values. Judaism was influenced along with the rest of the world, and Reform Judaism was our response. Early reformers in the 19th century discarded kashrut and religious dress and many other ritual laws, not only because they saw that these laws separated Jews from non-Jews, but also because their belief that this emphasis on all the minutiae of the ritual distracted Jews from responding to our prophetic call to champion the stranger, to lift up the vulnerable and the needy, to work for justice. And in every generation, reformed Jews have been found at the forefront of movements for social change, from the civil rights movement to feminism to recent advances for LGBT equal rights. Reform leaders wrote the first modern Torah commentary in North America. The reform movement ordained Sally Prezant as the first woman rabbi in America. Reform Jews revolutionized worship by allowing families to actually sit together, men and women, by introducing the weekly sermon, granted sometimes a mixed blessing, and by introducing the musical styles and instrumentation that we all know and love, bringing us into the future. The reform leader, Rabbi Alex Schindler of Blessed Memory, courageously reached out to intermarried families almost 40 years ago when they were being shunned and rejected by the Jewish community and instead said, you belong here. Reform led the charge to empower Jews to own and interpret their tradition for themselves so that personal observance was no longer dictated by your rabbis, but dictated by your personal conscience. Those lay Jews are you. I know I would not be counted as a Jew today, nor would many of you in this room, were it not for the crowns of interpretation that the reform movement added to our tradition. To be a reformed Jew is not the path of least resistance. It is not Judaism light. It takes thoughtfulness, agency, and integrity to make informed choices about what it is to be a Jew today. I hope you know it and believe it because we have some work to do to educate the Jewish world about Reform Judaism, and most especially in Israel. Because to return to where I began, I wish Minister Azalai spoke only for himself, but sadly, he represents a systematic denigration in Israel of Reform Judaism and any form of Judaism that is actually not ultra-Orthodox. Reform weddings, Reform conversions, Reform rabbis themselves are not recognized by the Jewish state. Despite the fact that Reform leaders helped to establish the state of Israel, that our movement sends rabbis there every year to study, 
and that we Reformed Jews continue to support Israel in too many ways to enumerate here tonight. Azulai says he cannot call anyone who stops following the religion of Israel a Jew. But no true Reformed Jew has ever stopped following the religion of Israel. That is unjust slander. And it infects and inflames the rhetoric in our homeland while imperiling its very soul. You may feel that these tensions and drawn lines are irrelevant to you, or at the very least, remote. But you have a key role to play and a voice that cannot be ignored, so I hope that you will lift it loudly and proudly. The future of the Jewish world depends on it. Unless you think, I can't do it. God reminds us that we are equipped to do it. In Deuteronomy, in a passage that we will read together on Yom Kippur, God says, Surely, this Torah that I give you today is not beyond your reach. Lo he. It is not in the heavens that you should say, Who will go up to the heavens and bring it down for us? It is not beyond the sea that you should say, Who can cross to the other side of the sea? No. This Torah is very close to you. It is in your mouths. It is in your hearts. Believe it. The Torah is not beyond your reach for you to translate into your lives in the ways that you conduct your business, in the ways that you mark sacred time like these holy days, in the ways you choose to eat, in the ways you treat human beings around you, from your loved ones to the person on the street, in the ways that we live, and even in the ways that we die, we make Jewish choices every day. And this is how you put Torah into your mouths and in your hearts. It is truly yours. And do not let an Israeli minister of religion or your inability to read Hebrew, or your doubts about your own authenticity stop you from taking your place as an interpreter of our tradition in a line that stretches from Ezra the scribe to Rabbi Akiva to Rabbi Sally Prezand to you. For you now are the translators of our tradition. You now are the reformers of Judaism. Can you imagine if Moses were to walk into the back of Avery Fisher Hall tonight and witness this community's observance of Rosh Hashanah, what would he make of the diverse crowd of thousands? What would he make of all the singers and instruments we have on our stage? What would he make of the jumbotron? <laughs> or this rabbi? <laughs> I'm venturing he would not recognize it, but he would not be able to miss 
the palpable energy and commitment of this great community. Moses would look around and see families sitting together, some three and even four generations, praying with sincerity. Gays and lesbians, Jews of all colors, all God's children, coming here to renew their commitment to our faith once more. He would see Jews by inheritance and Jews by choice. He would see Jews with their non-Jewish partners who in love have committed to be here and contribute to our people. He would see modern Jews, all of us, still making Kiddush and mourning Kaddish. He would hear ancient prayers sung to new melodies, for in every generation we sing a new song to God. Moses would see that this, all of this, is still the Judaism he began. He would see that every time we lift up the Torah and sing, Torah, that we are affirming, this is the Torah that Moses placed for the people Israel. And he would not only be reassured, he would be inspired. He would say, ah, these are the new crowns that are being etched on our Torah scroll. Judaism has always been a reforming Judaism. Its interpretations and reinterpretations will outlive me and my children and thank God for a living faith that lasts because it never stands still. Shana Tovah.